Welcome to the Unsophisticated Palate, a podcast about all things wine, beer, and spirits. Join us each week on our journey as we drink and delve into different alcohol-related topics. I'm Mark. I'm Dan. Cheers. Cheers. And now we're going to drink. And that is delicious, actually. I like that. It is good. That's our 2012 Syrah. We'll talk about that a little bit. That This is the first wine that my wife Karen and I made in the garage. And it's, I think it's our favorite and maybe the best one we did because we didn't know what the heck we were doing. <laughs> so it came out pretty nice. So Yeah. And so that's that's what we're here today. We're here to talk about it, it's home winemaking or, or is it? Home winemaking and the, the sort of, I call it the hipster term is a garagiste. 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 I don't know if anybody in the wine country um, actually calls himself <laughs> that, but that's kind of the, the term, if you will. Okay. If somebody called. Home winemaking. Is that and I think everybody, just about everybody in Sonoma County probably makes wine in the garage at some point in time. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine, right? It's got to be very common out here. Yes. So yeah, and I I never have, um, but I'd love to actually. It's been something that's kind of been on my radar for a little bit, so I'm going to be paying extra attention today. <laughs> um, but yeah, Dan. So this is your first time on. Um, first time on. Yes, welcome. Long time listener, first time on. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> like that. So why don't, uh, as you know, then as a longtime listener, um, your uh, first time on, we always like to get your relationship with alcohol. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm a wino. Okay. <laughs> that's it. No, but, um, Let me sum up, right? <laughs> that's it. And I think I, I was thinking about this and how to answer this question and how far back do I go? I may be one of your oldest guests on here as long history, but uh, I remember, you know, in high school, we always had the friend whose parents went away for the weekend. So we'd. Hit the stash. <laughs> load up with the Boone's Farm, Strawberry Hill. Oh, okay. On that. And I think my, my palate has matured quite a bit uh, since those days. I would hope. <laughs> on that. But, you know, then it got into a lot of um, beer drinking and that. And then after getting married, we were with some friends who I said, you know, we really like red wine. And at that point, red wine was the, uh, the Burgundy um, bottles, like the, yeah. the Gallo bottles or the... Kristen Brothers that you'd find in the uh, bottom shelf of the supermarket on that. So that's what we were drinking. Make it into Sangria uh-huh. or, or something with that. We moved back to Cal. We'd moved to Louisiana, where Karen's from. We moved back to Louis or to California. And Louisiana is when they inter- you had your introduction to red wine. No, no, no. This was in Southern oh, okay. California. We okay. moved to Louisiana, and then we moved back to California. Moved up to Northern California, and uh, with a lot of friends there, and started going up to Napa Valley. Um, um, tasting the Napa Valley and that. And then in 2004, I started coming over to Sonoma County to do the Vine Man races. Yes. Right? So you're familiar with those, the triathlon that we've, we've done so many of. Yes. And I saw that uh, this side of the, of, of the wine country, Sonoma County, is much more diverse, a lot different uh, varietals and smaller boutique family style wineries and just got into more red wine and drinking more, more red wine. Yeah. And I do love Sonoma County. I mean, it's fabulous County for wine. I just, it is. And it's, it's, it's so much um, more diverse, I think. And Napa makes obviously some fabulous, fabulous wines, but it seems like it's mostly, you know, Cab or Chardonnay. And on this side, you run the gamut of all the varietals. Over mm-hmm. this way, um, you've got Pinot growing areas, you've got the Alexander Valley for cabs, uh, Dry Creek Valley for Zins, and everything in between. So, it's, so 
don't know if that covers my relationship or not, but no, it's I, just that yeah. we got into into drinking more and more wine and less and less um, liquor. So cool. I don't really drink any. I call it alcohol. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but maybe a margarita if I'm at a taco party or something like that. But mm-hmm. we we don't hardly. Have, I don't think we have any hard liquor in the house. Yeah. I've got a ton of wine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've noticed. <laughs> but, uh, There's nothing wrong not, with that. Not much liquor at all. So now I also say because you've kind of lived the dream, and for me anyway, and and I think a lot of people because when we first met, you were down in San Jose area. Um, Silicon Valley, um, and making the trips up to Sonoma County. And when you retired, I believe it was when you retired, maybe before, you came to Sonoma County, and you are now in Sonoma County, living the dream, working in the wine industry. Yeah, we liked it up here so much coming up for the the Vineland races ever since 2004. In 2010, 2011, we bought a house over by the high school, which is on the Vine Band. Right course, on the course, I remember which that. Which is great. I, we used it as a staging area more than once, yes. And we, we liked it so much that we decided in uh, 2012 just to move up here full time. And my boss at the time said, don't worry about finding another job or quitting, just work from home. Awesome. So, so I did that for a year, year and a half on that. And then we moved into a, a bigger house so I could have a home office. And when we did that, we looked at our numbers and finances and I asked Karen can I just go ahead and quit (laughs) (laughs) so you moved into the bigger house to have the office office so that you could quit so I could quit (laughs) so I did uh, we looked at it we and talked with our financial planner and said yeah you can manage it if you want so I retired at 58 so what six years ago yeah and got a little bit bored then because Karen was still working Mm -hmm. and I was I kept saying hey let's go to this trip let's go to this and she said I can't I'm working so I ended up getting a job as a, a grape sampler for nice. the harvest seasons for Geyser Peak Winery. And I would go around to different vineyards they source grapes from and grab samples of the grapes early mm-hmm. in the morning, bring them back to the lab and run some tests on it and the bricks and sugar level uh-huh. and the pH and the acidity on that to give the winemaker an idea of how it's trending over mm-hmm. a couple of weeks to know when to pick. Oh, awesome. That. So that okay. was a lot of fun. Um, and doing that. So I did that for... Um, Probably very educational, I would imagine, Oh, it was, because right? I, I have access to the winemaker, but also to all the lab people and running the tests. And the vineyards of people and, growing. Yeah. Um, and that's... Maybe that's why the uh, Syrah came out so well, because I had access to the lab, and I was running tests on it <laughs> kind of daily on that. Um, and from there, then I ended up working in a tasting room here in Windsor, and then I found this job up at Papa Pietro Perry, where I am now. Mm-hmm. So I'm now back. I started off part-time, and they liked me so well, I guess. Or, <laughs> there you go. Or they needed someone to fill hours. They were so desperate, right? <laughs> they, it might be that. They asked me to come on full-time. So Karen, again, still working full-time. So I thought, well, what the heck, why not? So I work Monday through Friday, and I do a variety of jobs. I work in the back doing the, the shipping, inventory, website management, compliance, um, I do a lot of the graphics um, nice. for them. I'm the IT help support desk <laughs> on that. So, so many, many um, hats. So it, it's great having access to um, all of the winemakers, assistant winemakers, uh, the lab people, and even the growers that are up that way to ask some questions about, hey, here's what my vines are doing. You know, what, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. And so I get answers for that. So, um, now, we have a small, small little 25 vineyard, 25 vine vineyard in our backyard here of Primitivo grapes, which is very similar to Zinfandel. 
Yeah, and I got a, a little tour of that uh, before we start recording here, and that's really cool. So, um, and it's what about twenty five vines? Twenty five vines in there, and typically vines are are spaced, you know, six to eight feet apart, um, both horizontally and vertically. And I didn't have the space for that, so I have them about four feet apart mm -hmm. on that. And so I had them um, head trained, which instead of having the trellis and the wires going from plant to plant and the cane spread out across that, the cordons and that. They come up um, just like a star um, off of the, the, the main stalk on that. Yeah, and I, and I think everybody's vision of a vineyard is you just see the rows of them and because they're all, like I said, on the trellises. But started noticing this within the last month or two. They have ones, and, and like you're saying, it just basically goes straight up out of the ground like, like a short tree or right. shrub almost kind of a thing, yeah. and they're not trellised at all. So it's called head trained, and Zinfandel is traditionally head trained. So when you see a vineyard that is like that, where you don't see any wires or trellising or that, and it looks like this this eyebrow that's gone kind of crazy with the hairs <laughs> going every direction, that most not likely that I know is, anything about that. Vineyards, <laughs> right? But that most likely is a Zinfandel. Okay. For that. So it's just one to kind of to tell. It's not. All the time, but I say 99% of the time we see a head trained vineyard, it's going to be Zinfandel. Nice. Okay. Be about the same size, I think, as a normal garden would be, would you? Yeah, I think this is about 60 by 15 okay. is where it is. It sits underneath an apple tree that had a lot of bushes underneath it. And we decided to get rid of the bushes and created this little desert space. And so we said, well, let's put some vines in there. So it was more, it was more decorative. Or, and to kind of say we have a, a little vineyard here. Yes. Uh, if we get grapes this year, it's the, the third year, and he, as I showed you outside, every single plant has grapes on it, uh, which is great. So uh, we hope to get enough to maybe make a case of wine out of it. If not, then we'll just add it into whatever we're going to make this fall. Yeah, and, and a couple quick things on that is, is one, I, I think it's the, the space's limitations is great because I've been thinking about, you know, doing that for myself, but... Kind of learning from this, like you're saying, it, it is much more decorative. And I mean, like I said, you, you might get a case of wine out of that. So you're not producing all the grapes you're going to need. <laughs> no, no, not by any means at all. But it'd be fun if I was able to, like I said, just separate it and um, make it separately from whatever we're going to do this fall. So that we can say, yeah, this is this is our estate wine. Yes, from our vineyard, et cetera, <laughs> our et cetera. Vineyard. Right, right. Um, and then, and then the other thing that was, I, I think, I because I just started looking into this within the last few months. I was thinking spring was coming up. Maybe I'd get mine planted, and timing and and reality kept that from happening. And one of the realities was, I imagined I was going to plant, and then I was going to have grapes. Um, and like you're saying, it's two to three years, three maybe years. more. This, so this is the third year, and. I think we were fortunate also in that we had so much rain this year, and that puts a lot of nitrogen into the into the ground also to, to feed the, the vines and also develop the root system. So the first year is all about developing the root system. You don't care too much about the foliage or having it growing up too tall, but you really want to have those roots established and let them grow deep. The second year is about starting to get that, that main vine um, coming up, the grape stake that is planted to, that and then the third year is getting this the additional as you're head training it and you're cutting it off at certain buds on the stalks there getting those to come up so that you've got that star pattern kind of coming up with that 
So that's what we have right now. And the, the third year, I was really surprised just because of all the rain, we went out there one day and boom, every single plant had the little, you know, multiple clusters of grapes on it. There are tiny, tiny, tiny little um, things on there. Yeah. But it's exciting to now. Are those going to grow to be full grapes, or yeah. is, okay? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay, so that and that was also I think um, that revelation to me. Well, a, how long it took that slowed me down, and then this other revelation of of you know I was in my head had imagined, and I guess it, actually it'd be awesome to have a case of of wine from your own vineyard. But in my head, I guess I wasn't sure how much I was actually going to get. So that may also motivate me and other people. Like, I mean, again, if, unless you've got some decent space and planting your own vineyard is probably more for a hobby and, and decoration and, and landscape than anything else, right? Right, right. And if, if, if you want to do the math kind of backwards, when I make 15 gallons of wine, I get 300 pounds of grapes. That gives me 32 gallons of must, which mm-hmm. is the crushed grapes and that. And that 32 gallons of must gives me 15 gallons of wine, which gives me about eight cases of wine. Okay, and that's what that's what I was, I was trying to like, I was going to so ask about that. So you can do the math backwards and figure it out. So 300 pounds, you said, of grapes. 300 pounds of grapes. Okay, uh, ultimately ends up in eight cases, or well, 16 gallons, you said, which is about eight cases. Right. Okay, okay, that's and that's interesting. So let, let's get into that now. So into the actual homemaking part okay. of, of the wine. And that, well, and actually that, that's perfect because the 300 pounds of grapes gives me, I said, 32 gallons of must, 15 gallons of wine, which is perfect for me because I have a 15 gallon barrel. I don't want a 55 gallon barrel because then I'm going to get 25 cases of wine. And what am I going to do with 25 <laughs> cases of wine? <laughs> Be very happy. Maybe. So the, and not only that, but then I, I would need three times, four times the, uh, fermentation space yeah. that I have. And right now I've got a nice, you know, 35 gallon, it looks like a big white trash can, food grade trash can mm-hmm. that I do the fermentation in. So um, I'm jumping ahead, but yeah, that's yeah, just kind of where well, uh, well, let's step back then. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to, we've got one, two, three, four, five. No, we have six. seven. Seven. Okay, we have seven. Because right, I've got the barrel sample. Oh, yes. Oh, because we I, actually a bar- barrel sampling today, which I love. So we're going to go through about these seven, um, and these are the seven batches that you've made since you started. Is that right? Seven correct? vintages. Vintages. Oh, okay. This and seven vintages. different varietals. And seven different varietals. So you've been doing this seven years. Um, well, this is the, what is it, 19? 19. 19? So this is the, yeah. This seven is, years. The first one was 2012, and we have the 19 uh, Sangiovese out in the barrel. Okay, nice. Okay. So what we're going to do is just walk through these and, and kind of taste them one at a time, and then... Um, you can tell me a little bit about kind of, and I'll ask some questions along the way about your experience making each one of these. Um, and then hopefully that will kind of inspire or scare off, I guess, those who are, are interested in, in maybe doing their own little home. Okay, sure. Okay. So we started with the 2012 Syrah, and this is what we started the program with, with the, the yes. cheers on this. And I, I really like this. It's just got some nice, uh, Karen always says it has a little bit of graham cracker. On that, so you can always mm. tell our barrel because it's got a little bit of graham cracker on that. And, and I'll tell you a story just real quick. Uh, Karen, my wife, and I think all women have a, a much finer palate than men. And certainly Karen has a much finer palate than I do. Mm-hmm. We were wine tasting once with a, a, a red wine. It was a Charbonneau and had some Asian food with it. And as I was tasting and, and 
sampling the wine. I said, well, I'm getting some heat. You know, there's just some heat out of this wine or that. Karen tastes it and says, I'm getting ginger. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I meant. You know, so I'm, yeah. I'm at the 30,000 foot level talking about I'm getting heat and she narrows it down to what exactly. To the exactly what's doing that. it, right? So, anyway, it's not that sidetrack. Back to this Syrah. We had belonged to a wine club that specialized in making Syrah up in Dry Creek Valley off of West Dry Creek Road. And every year they would ask, this was a husband-wife team that only produced 16 tons of grapes a year. Compare that to um, a major place like Geyser Peak. They get 16 tons in on one truck on one oh, wow. day, and okay. they probably get 10 trucks a day. Oh, wow. Okay. So, <laughs> so just tell you the volume of that. So the winemaker, Lisa, um, liked to have people come up and wine club members and experience being in the vineyard and picking grapes. But I think she really wanted us to to pick out all the little jacks. They they call it mod material other than grapes. Oh, so you're picking okay. Out, you're picking out earwigs and the the jacks from uh, jacks are the the little twigs and okay. um, branches, if you will, off of the, the grape bunch and, and that. So we're picking all that off. Anyways, this year she looks over at me. She goes, Dan, is this year you're going to make wine? And I go, I don't know, I guess so. Goes, well, yeah. So she gave me 250 pounds of Syrah grapes. And 2012 was the first of three major boom crops that happened here in all throughout California. Uh, so 2012, there were just a ton of grapes with that. She gave me 250 pounds of grapes. And the first awesome. thing that you want to do when you bring the grapes home um, is to add a little bit of um, sulfur dioxide, SO2. Because you want to kill off any bad thing that's kind of in there and let the grapes kind of settle down. And you want to be able to inoculate it with your own yeast. And there's different yeast strains, so strains in that. So dust it or that. powder it or no, something? No, it's, it's, it's a, a liquid. Oh, it's a liquid? Like okay. That. So just kind of add like a, a cup of it. And just go into to Amazon this. and get yeah. that? Or <laughs> Well, there's you, you can. Oh, wow. You, get, okay. um, you probably get you everything get on Amazon. potassium sulfate powder. And then you can just make that make up a two percent solution so that it's it's strong. I mean, mm-hmm. if you smell it, you go. It, it's like smelling ammonia. Kind of opens your eyes with that. Um, and it is a poison, mm-hmm. but it's not strong enough that it affects that. And also, it will. As you do the finished wine, you want to keep the sulfur level up on it so that you're killing off any any bad things. Anyways, so you kind back of to just, the, I'm sorry, just so oh, you, sorry. you give it a bath in that basically. Right, you just kind of just put that in there and keep it. Keep it um, in that so that it, it kills off stuff. And again, because I want to kill off anything that might be in there, I want to kill off any wild yeast that came in from the vineyard or it's in my garage. Mm-hmm. Right? The yeast is everywhere. Yeah. That. And I want to inoculate it with my own um, strain of yeast that is designed for Syrah or designed to bring out certain flavors or to bring more color into the wine okay. on that. So I want to make sure that all the, the non-stuff that I want is gone and I put it in there. So we add the SO2 to it. Mm-hmm. And adding the SO2 is just a formula that you figure it out and do that. And I, I think it was supposed to be something like 60 parts per million. And I ended up doing 600 parts per million. Oh, no. So nothing was happening. There was no, it, there's, there was no spontaneous fermentation, nothing. And so after about three days, I called Lisa back, the winemaker, who gave me the grapes and told her what happened and said, I think I... I can stabilize this and get it going. She said, no, 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 no. Just dump those and come get more. Wow. We've got so much crop. We're going to end up leaving some on the vines so that we're not going to have tank space for. So, That's so fortunate because so that could great. be a bad mistake so, otherwise. Oh, yeah. So inexpensive. Yes. Uh, so she gave me the grapes. So she said, well, come on up here Thursday afternoon. I won't be home, but here's the 
the code to the gate, and I'll leave the vineyard in this block open. So on a Thursday evening, Karen and I drove up there at about 5 o'clock, drove in through the hills and down to the vineyard, mm-hmm. and picked grapes. And, you know, it was, it was <laughs> great. Cool. It was like living the dream. It was like, oh, we're kind of, oh, it's our own vineyard. We're picking the grapes. On. Yeah. So then we came back and made the... Uh, made it correctly and did the Syrah. So, and we entered this Syrah into the Orange County Fair Home Winemakers Competition. Mm-hmm. And, and so first year you ever made it. First year I ever made it. just thought, oh, dive yeah. right on in. Let's just, let's just go ahead and do it because it came out really good. Yeah, um, it is good. I was really happy with it. And people ask me, why did you enter it into the, uh, the Orange County Fair one? Is that because that's where you're from? And I said, no, because they only asked for one bottle of wine. A lot of the the competitions will ask for two or three bottles of wine. And when you only make eight or nine cases, sacrificing two bottles. Yeah, know. that's a lot. So, so anyways, we got a, a bronze medal uh, for this wine and for the, the label on it. And the, the way that the Orange County Fair scores in a lot of places scores, they use the UC Davis score sheet, which mm-hmm. is they give it so many points on, on the, the color, the aroma, the body, the taste. Does it taste like the varietal that you're trying to make. And if you score like 12 to 13 points, it's a bronze. Mm-hmm. If you score 14 to 17, it's a silver. And 18 and above, it's a gold. And if the three judges all agree that it scores to a gold, then it's a double gold. Oh. So that's how the scoring works. So, yep. so we got a bronze medal for this. And we're telling friends about awesome. this. Karen likes to tell people, we took the bronze. <laughs> there like, you go. Well, it's not like we took third place, but we got a bronze medal like about another hundred other wines got a bronze medal. But you know, it doesn't matter. Say, we took the bronze. Yeah, no, you got a bronze, and and for your first wine batch yeah, you we're ever made. Happy with it. <laughs> All right. So the the one thing with home winemaking is what my friend uh, Lisa Montemajori uh, told me is the the number one mistake that wine home winemakers make is not keeping things sanitized mm. with that. So that's where the SO2 comes into play because not only does it protect the wine, it protects all of my equipment. So I've got a spray bottle and anytime I'm using it at all, I spray it down with the SO2 mm-hmm. on that. I have a, and if I have a punch down, I've got a little punch down tool. It looks like a giant potato masher. Okay. And I use that to punch down the wine um, twice a day when it's in the must on that. But I'm always spraying that down. I'm always cleaning anything with the SO2. I have a friend, another friend who's a winemaker, who has a group of folks who come through a, a group of interns from Gallo, and she has them make a barrel of wine. And I was helping her one day, and she said, I need you to go to the liquor store and just grab two of the cheapest bottles of vodka. Hmm. I go, oh, okay, it's going to be a party. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I come back, and she takes both of those bottles and pours them into spray bottles, and she's using that to spray and use it to sanitize because it's, it's cheap and it's it's and effective, <laughs> right? And yeah. it's, it's alcohol. It's just clean. So we're cleaning the equipment with with vodka and spraying it down. Oh, that's that. fun. So I haven't done that quite yet on that. The yeah, that's kind of a waste of vodka too. <laughs> well, like you said, I don't drink. There you go. <laughs> vodka, so it would matter with that for me. Yeah. So, anyways, this is the Syrah. We we also did a. We had a, um, a party where we were trying to figure out, oh, that was the Zen. Anyways, with this one here, with this Syrah, I, I could never make it again because mm-hmm. part of, I have a 15-gallon barrel and there's a little bit of evaporation that always happens called the angel share. Yes, yes. So when that evaporates and I I'll open up, take the bung out and look in and I see it's dropped down about a half an inch. 
So I'm grabbing a bottle of finished wine Mm -hmm. and pouring it in there. So I just decided I would go and find four or five bottles of inexpensive Syrah at, you know, Bottle Barn or somewhere. Mm -hmm. And we'd have a party and and pour it in here and and taste which one we liked. So it came out with the, um, at the end of the evening, we all voted. It was a Syrah out of Livermore that everybody liked it the best. So I said, okay, fine. That's the one we'll use. I ended up just dumping all of them in there and, <laughs> and using them throughout. So it's a Syrah blend. Right. So, it always, so I always have a, when we have wine in the barrel, I always have an open bottle of wine there also that I'm topping that off. So every every other day or so, I'm kind of looking in the barrel and making sure that I keep it topped off because I don't want any oxygen to get in there. Oxygen and wine don't mix. You don't want it to be oxidized. It turns brown and it does some other bad things to it. Yeah, not until right so before you drink it, right? Right. Just until you... You kind of swirl it. You start to volumize the esters. Oh, there you go. That's good. Do that. All right. So our next one. Let's let's take a dive into that. I'm gonna... So this is the Zinfandel, and I'm using the Coravin. So we're not opening every single bottle. Coravin is this nice device that has a needle that you puncture through the cork, and then you inject some argon gas into the bottle. And it forces the wine out so that we don't have to open it. It was designed by his engineer who enjoyed wine with his wife. She became pregnant and didn't want to drink anything. And he didn't want to open up a full bottle of wine. So he yeah. made this device so that he could enjoy a glass of wine. Oh, interesting. Pregnancy. So this is the Zinfandel. This one is the only wine for the grapes that we source from a home grape grower. Oh, okay. So I just looked on Craigslist and found this uh, grower here in Hillsburg, so in Dry Creek Valley. It's up on Dry Creek Valley runs, Dry Creek kind of runs right through it from the Warm Springs Dam. And you have the valley floor and then you have this bench on the east side that kind of runs along that too with that. And then up into the hills that go up over to Alexander Valley. So this came off of the, that bench area. And it was mm-hmm. a home, uh, like I said, a home uh, grower who kept telling me, oh, yeah, you want to grab those raisins that are on there, too. So on the vine, you can see the where the, the grapes have, have shriveled up quite a bit. Just yeah, there's a the few heat. of them in there, right? So yeah. there's no water in there, or less, less amount of water. So you're going to have a high concentration of sugar yeah. in that. And so I grabbed a bunch of that because I thought that she knew what she was talking about, and, mm-hmm. and she didn't. Uh-oh, oh, no. So anyways, it, this, this came in at a high alcohol. I think it was about 26, 28. Oh, wow. On the, not alcohol, high bricks. Oh, okay. okay. Sorry. <laughs> so that's a strong no, no, wine. So, um, so we're going to taste and this. I haven't, and I haven't tasted this Zinfandel. I, I just, I try to put a couple cases in the crawl space underneath my house. Mm-hmm. So then they're they're cool, they're dark, yeah. and, and I can't see them. So I'm not just going then to Then you're not thinking about it, yeah. That. So that's where I've, I've actually found that down there. Yeah. So, um, so you... you Went on to Craigslist, you found him, and just out of curiosity, you got, what, 300-ish pounds, it sounds like, plus yeah. or minus. What what might, like today, I wanted to do that, what would I expect to, to pay? How much is that going to set um, me back? These from the, I think these were like about a dollar ten a pound. Okay, so that's um, not so bad. So about, you know, $250, $300. I was figuring out the, I was trying to do the math and figure out, well, how much have I spent and how much wine have I garnered out of what I've spent. And I, yeah. figured, I figured I spent about $3,3500 so far over seven years with the equipment. And the equipment, obviously I can amortize that if I went to it over the seven, but yeah. each year I have to buy grapes with that. 
and I've, I've got about 840 bottles of wine out okay. of that. So I've got about you know 10 cases each each year. I've mm-hmm. done seven years, so 120 times seven, 12 bottles per case, right? Yeah, so yeah. 120 each year, uh, <clears throat> and then I get. Uh, my math is no the good. Math, wait, I was trying to figure out the math of that. So anyway, yeah, it came out to, the calculator, came out to about $4 a bottle. Oh, $4 a bottle. Okay. So say, something, yeah. something like that. Okay. Right, so, well, that's not bad. You know, four fifty a bottle, something like that. So, okay. Well, and the experience. I mean, <clears> that's... And the experience and the fun. And, and, and it's great when that friends like you have come up and have shared this. And um, nice. when we did the that, we had a lot of friends from Southern California and some friends from Iowa and Arizona who were all up visiting with that. And it just happened to be a bottling day. So mm-hmm. it was great. We had a whole crew in there to help um, bottle, to have put the cork in, to put the label on it, and just and to wash the bottles prior to us using them all like that. So yeah. it was just a lot of fun. So you're right, it's been a lot of fun doing that in the process of that. So uh, the Zinfandel, I said it... Yeah, now, you said the Raidens are in there. Now, I can kind of tell you something, but I want your thoughts and take because you're much much more developed palate than I have um, on, on kind of the taste, the profile, and, and what you think the raisins that you included in there did and well, why you well, think it was a the mistake. Ra- the raisins don't necessarily, when I say that, um, they're not really raisins like what you get from yeah, the Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, just, just a shrivel. shriveled up with that that we call on the vine with that. And that doesn't give it any type of raisiny type of uh, taste to it at all. It's just a higher sugar content. Oh, okay. That. So a higher alcohol so I, I may have watered this down a little bit. I have to look at my notes on that and see, because it's not tasting very hot. Mm-hmm. And a hot wine, to me, is when the higher alcohols. And Zinfandel, especially Dry Creek Valley Zins, tend to run on the hot side and big and jammy and brambly mm-hmm. type of that. Um, this one's not. I was going to say, I didn't so, get any of that I out really, of it. I really yeah. like this because it's it's... It doesn't have that big over-the-top jamminess that you'll get in, in some of the Zinfandels that you'll see up this way in, in sample. So it's just nice and mild. It's yeah. It's got some nice fruit on it still for um, being a. And this is the thirteen, so it's aged well. So yeah. it's aged nicely with that. So this is one that's been under the house. So maybe it's, it's just <laughs> being under the house. It's, it's aged pretty nicely with that. I had a little bit of oxidation with this wine here, and some of the bottles when I first opened them, even a year ago. When you, when you hold it to the side with this here, you'll get a little, the, that top rim mm-hmm. of the wine as it sits in your glass is called the meniscus. Okay. And so when you look at that, and if you hold it up to a piece of white paper behind it. So we're it, kind of holding the that, glass on the side here. Hold the glass on the side, and you're kind of looking at it from an angle. Oh, not from, from an the, angle. Not, okay. from the, not from the opening down, but from the angle, and looking at that sort of top rim of that. And an older wine, or one that's been oxidized, will be a little bit brown or orange. Yeah, I can see it. Actually. And at that yeah. point, you'll also, with a wine like that, you will get some of that raisiny taste. Mm-hmm. So a wine that's been oxidized, that uh, has had some exposure to that, uh, to oxygen with that, will have that. Now, a lot of older wines, and you'll see this even with quality older wines that have been stored properly, may have just a little bit of brown tinge or orange tinge on it. There's a way to tell kind of an older wine from a newer wine is obviously looking at that color. Yeah, and in the wine tasting episode we did, we kind of covered some of that. That's one of the reasons why 
when you're you got the judges or anybody who really knows what they're doing they're looking at the wine that is one of the things they're oh, looking for right. is that browner color because it will give a hint as to the age of the wine right right, right. and especially if you if you have a, a newer wine that's being judged in, in a competition and the judge looks at it and sees some brownish tints to it or orange tints to it he's merely going to think that this is an oxidized wine and it's not going to score as high yeah Oh, well, really? Okay, so you, well, the judge I, might I, not want to see that. So, Well, with a newer wine, you probably wouldn't want to see that. Not with a new one. Okay, yeah. but if it's an older but one. But if it's an would. older wine with that, you're, you're going to see that. Okay. And most likely. So that's not to say that it's a bad wine at all, but you'll start to taste some of the older qualities in, a, in an aged wine where it's a little bit mellower with that. The fruit might not be as bright. The, the acid is down a little bit on it, so it's, it's not as uh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, with that and that's one thing I've, I've learned with the home wine making too is looking at the, the some of the measurements what I do is the pH and make sure that's in the proper level so that nothing bad too high of a pH on it and the bad things like to grow in, in the too mm-hmm. high of a pH and, okay. and too low of a pH means that maybe the acid is too high so it's this this high school chemistry experiment where you're delicate balance yeah checking that out and also looking at the acid on that. So if you're if I'm tasting the wine and it's at the beginning of it is tasting bright and brilliant and really kind of vivid and go, oh my gosh, you got the fruit flavors. And then a month later it's tasting flabby. Uh-huh. And that's a term I've heard people flabby. It tastes flabby. It's just flat. I said, well the acid is probably down on that. So if you do some some trials where you'll take some out, you'll say, okay, let me add a gram of of acid, of acid, tartaric acid, usually do that. And you start doing some trials and say, okay, what's what gets it back to the point with that? And they have to do your math. You know, so okay, if I added a gram to an ounce, then what does that calculate out to 15 gallons so that you, yeah. you add it like that? I was doing that at the beginning and, and trying to do that. Now I just do it by taste. Oh, there you and go. I kind, of, <laughs> kind of taste and go, eh, there's more acid. So I'll, I'll, dump, a, I'll dump a tablespoon or or something like that into it, and then I'll kind of taste it, and then I'll wait another week and taste it again, and go, oh, okay, yeah, that's why. Yeah. That just kind of comes from experience, then. Yeah. So the the, the difference I think between a home winemaker, well, certainly for me, there are home winemakers who are are brilliant chemists and and really know what they're doing and keep meticulous notes. But between me and someone who is making, you know, um, ten thousand cases a mm-hmm. year with that. Is they're they're doing that on a very consistent basis at a higher volume when that so they really know what they're doing and they're looking at the chemistry much much closer because their livelihood depends on it you know if I find a having to toss you know ten cases of wine okay I'm out two hundred bucks yeah that's 200, 250, 300 bucks yeah, yeah you know that's kind of a lesson I learned but versus you know a million dollars at a winery so, <laughs> so those huge. winemakers there really know what they're doing and are really Taking it down to a science with that. I can imagine. So this is a Primitivo, the next one. This is of 2014. And this is the year I was also doing some grape sampling. And one of the places that we did some sampling, where I would go out to the vineyard and walk around and just sample, was a, a vineyard up in Alexander Valley, just north of Hillsburg, that had a lot of Zinfandel. And as we were talking with the, the wine grower, the grape grower there, Nobody grows wine. They grow grapes, yeah. The grape grower, um, he mentioned that he had, in this huge block of Zinfandel, he had about 15 rows of Primitivo. 
Mm-hmm. And my eyes kind of lit up because I, I was going, I like Primitivo. And yeah. So I was asking him, so um, do you think I could buy some grapes from you on this? And he said, well, how much do you need? And I said, like 300 pounds. He goes, oh my gosh, I'm going to drop more of, than that. So just when it's ready, I'll give you a call. Come out and pick what you need. Oh, that's awesome. So, so grape growers. Great to have the connections. It is. Grape growers will work with the winemaker for who they have the, the wines contracted to and will determine, uh, try to figure out how much of the fruit do we leave on the vine? Is it growing too much? And we want to drop some of it so that the remaining fruit gets a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. So in a huge, huge block, you know, he's going to drop probably a ton of, of grapes for that just for the remaining yeah. increases uh, with that so it, it was interesting for him just to kind of look at me and go 300 pounds that's nothing <laughs> that's nothing so yeah. this is a primitivo and primitivo is very very similar to it's a kissing cousin if you will of uh, zinfandel so both okay. both zinfandel and primitivo derived from a croatian grape it's like something it's a the name needs to have more vowels in it it's like a <laughs> crystal eugeniac something like that grape out of Croatia, and Primitivo made its way down to uh, southern Italy and Zinfandel out to California for that. So you'll get Primitivo. For me, Primitivo, compared to Zinfandel, Zinfandel sometimes will have some rough edges mm-hmm. on it, just a little bit, and I think Primitivo kind of smooths those edges out mm-hmm. on that, at least in my experience yeah. with that. Interesting. Well, you know what I think we're going to do, because we've got four more wines to taste, we're running a little long this week, so I think we're going to two-parter this one. So I think we're going to use this Primitivo, which I've already tasted, which is also delicious. I would not know these were homemade wines. I would, I would, If you were to put this in front of me on a table and just have me drink it, I would never know the difference. That's high praise. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so we're going to cheers with this and, and say goodbye for this week. Um, but then we will be back next week, um, and we will pick up, and we will go through the last uh, four bottles here. Uh, not the bottles. We'll taste <laughs> the, the last four. Um, and then we'll also talk a little bit more, I think, about the actual uh, process itself. Like do you how you mash them, squeeze okay, them, great. all of that, because I'm, I'm interested in that. So in the meantime, uh, you can go to the website, contact us. Uh, please tell friends and family, pass the word about the podcast that helps more people discover us and learn about the amazing wonders of all the alcohols, I guess. And until next time, drink responsibly. Cheers. Cheers.